work. What word comes to your mind when you hear that word work? Let's show some pictures here. You think uh, first, is it taxing? Yeah, right. Or what, what about what about the next one? Boring. Or what about the next one? Hard. Oh, one more. We got one more for you. Fearful. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, does work bring about one of those words? Is our understanding of work biblical in today's church? When we think of the word work, do we really understand what God's design for diligent work is for us? And why in the world is today's sermon putting two words together, love and work? What do those two words have to do with one another? And aren't those two words antonyms in our culture? Well, today we're going to take a deep dive into a biblical understanding of work. Um, We're going to see the church of Thessalonica have a few people that are struggling with understanding their need for diligent work. And we're going to see Paul teach us through this. So join me as we seek to understand God's plan and purpose for work in our lives as we study his letter to the Thessalonians. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Join me as we read God's word. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is a a difficult scripture for us to go through today. Um, We want to make sure that we understand it in a biblical way. The idea of work is oftentimes misunderstood in our culture, and in our world today. And so, God, may you open up our eyes to what, how you've designed work and, and how you've designed us to work and help us to do that for your glory. We love you, thank you, and praise you. Amen. So today we're going to discuss three aspects of diligent work unto the Lord. And the first is, as followers of Christ, we should seek to worship God through why we work, through why we work. I'm going to reread verses 9 and 10 here. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And as we've been going through this book, if you remember the first three chapters we even mentioned last week, were all positive thankfulness. Uh, they They were more praise reports, things like that that we saw And then all of a sudden we got to the beginning of chapter 4 and the tides changed a little bit. All of a sudden we saw an admonition. We saw a a discipline of sorts in regards to sexual morality. Well, he's about to prepare to call them out again as we get to verses 11 and 12, but he's going to prepare them for that. There were were a few in the church that weren't working diligently, um, but but he goes ahead and he, he praises those who were, who were doing what was right. And most of this church was known as a church of love, uh, and this, this love that, he's, that he says here is actually Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? So that's where they get this from. It, it, is, it is brotherly love. And, and this Greek word for love here, Philadelphia, 
was almost exclusively outside of Scripture used for familial relationships. You only used it for your family. But Paul uses this word time and time again to discuss believers. And so we learn a, a big truth from that, that as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, repented of their sins, turned from their ways, turned toward him, he is Lord of their life, put their, their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, actually you're more related to them, to other people that have done that, than your blood relatives. According to Paul, your true family, your eternal family, are those who are born-again believers. How amazing is that? teaching. It was, it was way different than how they used that word back then. And as we are a family of God, we also see that we are a joint heir of Christ in Scripture, Romans eight seventeen. And if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Obviously, we've talked about this before. We're not equal with Christ. He is the heir above all heirs. He is God made man. But we are, we are part of the family of God as brothers and sisters. And just let that sink in a minute as we, as we think about this brotherly love, how we are brothers and sisters in Christ and how we are joint heirs with Christ, how we are adopted sons and daughters of Christ as believers. How amazing is that? The, the, the King of kings, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who died for us, the one who holds, holds us on the earth by the power of his hands, uh, the power of his word, his will, the one who has no beginning or end, he loves you. Our God never loses those that he loves, that he has saved. Uh, you are loved, chosen, protected, and pursued. In John 10, 28, we've mentioned this before, I, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus stands by you in protection as fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. We are part of God's family, his forever family. We, we talk about adoption, and we talk about a forever family. As we adopted our daughter, Lisette, we, we, we talked about, uh, she's I think back there, but, um, but what we talked about a forever family, and that was talked about so much. Like once you adopt that child, they are forever a part of your family on earth, right? Well, we have a forever family here uh, as fellow believers in Christ. We are going to be forever a family of God. And how great is that God that, that he will pursue you, that he will discipline you when you get out of line. And I praise God for that discipline. I, I don't know. I mean, I know discipline's tough. It doesn't always seem pleasant at the time, but you know what t discipline means? It means you're legitimate. You know, I don't discipline other people's kids. I discipline my kids, right? And there may be times where you maybe have to if you're in a certain situation, but that's not my job is to discipline somebody else's kids. My job is to discipline my own because I love them and I care for them. And our God, he disciplines those who are his own. So when, you've, when you feel like you got hit in the back of the head, uh, you know, with a two-by-four, and that's maybe just me because I'm more stubborn than you. You might just require a tap on the back or something like that, but I usually require the two-by-four approach. Uh, you know, I, I thank God for that pain. I'm like, okay, okay, God, that's a, a measured amount of pain to bring about a change that is more godly. And I pray that, that as you think about that, you also think about how great he is to console us and comfort us in those situations. And this wonderful Savior calls us to love others. He calls us to love our other brothers and sisters especially. And that brings us to why we work for him. And we work for God's glory because he, we love others because he first loved us. And so by working for others uh, and, and their benefit, we glorify God. By working for God, we glorify him as well. And God is glorified by believers who work for his glory, not their own. You know, they, they do it for him. Their efforts are for him first, others second, like the first and second greatest commandments that we see in Matthew 22. 
And this work is always stretching us as believers. And, and D, I like this quote by D. Michael Martin in his commentary on Thessalonians. You know, you, you wonder, like, okay, well, how, how does love and work go together? And I think he, he puts it together well here. He says, but the nature of Christian love is such that it is always practiced, never mastered. It's work to love your brothers and sisters because guess what? Your brothers and sisters are probably going to sin against you. I'm just going to be honest. We're all going to sin against each other. That, that, that is part of life. And so it's work to continue to serve other people. And it's work. We continue to work for one another as well. Well, getting back to verse 10, we see that most of us are never going to actually arrive, or none of us were going to arrive on this side of eternity, that we've arrived at glorifying God through our work, being perfect, completely sanctified, completely holy. Now, one day we will, once we die and we are, we're resurrected with Christ, once we're in his presence, all of that, all of our flesh, all of that sin will be gone. But we see at the end of verse 10, this, a phrase that if you remember by last week, we saw this phrase, more and more. And, and that phrase, more and more, do you, do you remember that? He, he talked about pursuing God, pursuing holiness more and more. And, and what was that pursuing God or pursuing holiness more and more? He was saying, hey, don't be okay with where you're at. You know what? You, you might have come a long way from where you were, but you still have a lot longer to go. And he's saying that about love here. He said, okay, I know you all are known as a loving church. You're, you're, you know, the Thessalonians, he says, not only are they loving with the other people in their church body, but it says throughout Macedonia. Macedonia was a pretty big place, a pretty big area, if we look. And he pursued, uh, and he, pursued, he wanted them to continue pursuing love even more and more. So we've now seen the why that we work. We work for God's glory. We work to glorify him by loving others and serving others. We work because we love Christ and we love Christ's children. However, the next two verses, we're going to practically flesh out how we work to glorify God and love our brothers and sisters through work. And this first one is, we look at our second point here, as followers of Christ, we should seek to worship God through the way that we work. Let's read verse 11 again. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. There are three practical instructions given in this, this short but power-packed verse in verse 11. I want us just to kind of take these step by step. So Paul ends this verse with letting his church know that, that he and his colleagues have already done this. He ends it with that saying, hey, we've already told you these things, but hey, make sure you, you remember these and make sure you're practicing what we said. The first one is to aspire to live quietly. Aspire to live quietly. What does that really mean? And, and what that really means is living peacefully among others, having a peaceful relationship with others. We, we glorify God through our peacemaking with others. Have you ever worked with somebody who always stirs up strife? No matter what's going on, man, they're always that guy that, or that gal that is in the middle of a mess. They're always talking, and you never get a chance to even say anything at all. Uh, they, they never even take a breath. They dominate conversations. They ruffle feathers. Everywhere they go, peace is completely stolen. It's just removed. If there was peace in the room, that person walks in, it's over. And I, I'm, I'm sure some of y'all are about to amen that. Like, yeah, I work with that person. I pray you're not that person. If you are that person, we need to repent. Uh, that, that's a problem. And maybe if you don't work with one of those people, ask your colleagues if you are that person. That may be something else. If everybody gets up and goes and gets coffee every time you sit down, might be a way to repent there. You just talk to somebody. Talk, you know, talk to, talk to somebody. Um, those are usually people that you do your best to avoid. They're the people whenever they sit down at the lunch table, you're like, you know what, I think I'm done, you know. But you, you only have half of your sandwich. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. My appetite is gone at this point. And they're usually troublemakers. They're not trustworthy. 
And Paul is letting the church know, don't be like that. Be peacemakers among one another. And one way that you, uh, you, you live quietly is what, what's the opposite of quiet? Being loud. It's, it's, it's being quick to speak. And so James says in James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person to be quick to hear, but slow to speak. That's uncommon in our culture. Um, and slow to anger. So quiet and peaceful believers are not the first ones to speak up in every single time, every opportunity that, that there is to maybe fill silence. Quiet believers that, that are aspiring to live quietly aren't the first ones to speak. Instead, they're calculated with their words. It's not that they're, they never speak at all, but they're, they're cool and calculated, and we see this in Proverbs ten nineteen. When words are many, transgression or sin is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So being quick to speak is a self-control problem. As we talked about sexual morality last week, that's a self-control problem. This is as well, just as much so. And listen to Paul's admonishment here and let the Holy Spirit work on you in this area. I think most of us have a tendency to be a little quick to speak, quick to jump to conclusions. Instead of asking questions, oftentimes we give our opinions. I can be just as guilty as anyone about that, and it's something that God continues to work on me with, and it's like you think you know right th- what the right answer is. And if you ask a few more questions, oftentimes what you're about to say, either they already know and you didn't need to say it, or it's completely off base, and that's not something they're struggling with anyway. I'm sure you've all had people that have come to you and maybe asked you for advice, and, and man, you just jump at it, and you're like, oh, okay, but you didn't really ask them what they wanted advice about. You just went ahead and gave it first off. I know we can all be guilty about that, but let us live quietly and peaceably. Number two, mind your own affairs. Mind your own business. That's a tough one, right? Uh, Here we have a call to respect the privacy of others. And some may take this too far and say, well, if you're not a part of that, you need to stay out of it. There's truth to that most of the time. But there also is, is truth to sometimes we do need to stand up for those who are being bullied, oppressed, uh, you know, we, we see Micah 6.8, uh, to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. Sometimes we will be directed that, but, but that's not what Paul is pressing on here. He's encouraged them to respect the privacy of others by not being gossips or busybodies. Gossips or busybodies. Uh, this advice runs hand-in-hand hand with the last comment that Paul just gave, that they should be quiet, aspire to live a quiet life, and not, not be busybodies. Believers should not be intentionally creating familial or social, or political, or workplace disturbances. Notice that word necessarily. There are times where we have to stand up and say, no, that's not right, that is sin. But we shouldn't just unnecessarily go around airing out our opinions and trying to convert people to think the way that we do about everything, especially when it's not the gospel. Uh, Oftentimes, we start preaching a gospel that's not really the gospel. You need to believe this, 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 and then uh, then, then you'll be right, you know? You know, we spend more time talking about gun control, and I'm not, I'm not, against, gun, you know, I'm not against guns at all. I'm a Second Amendment supporter, but if, 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 if our gospel is, is the right to conceal carry, well, that's not the true gospel. If that's, what, if that's the first thing that comes out of our mouth, or, or free speech, or you know, anything that is political that way, if that's our first thing we want to tell people and convert people to, well, we got to check our hearts. We need to be focused on loving others, and the best way we can do that is by our actions toward them, being peacemakers, minding our own business, not, not gossiping, and sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our number one. And third, we see Paul say, work with your hands. Work with your hands. And this was pretty interesting. If you know much about Roman history, working with your hands was not a good thing there. 
you know, they're only slaves and lower class people worked with their hands. If you had anything, if you were middle class or above, you didn't do that. And so here Paul is saying, hey, work with your hands. You need to do some manual labor. Get your hands dirty. And, and I mean, it, it's pretty countercultural, and I can't really think of a great uh, cultural relevant thing for us to kind of apply that idea, but it'd be something like telling each one of you, hey, go home and knit your own sweaters. Do it. It's what you need to do. If you can't knit your own sweaters, you're, you're, you're in sin. You know, go, go, go knit your own sweaters. And you'd be like, dude, wh- what, are you, what are you talking about? Go, go knit your own sweaters. That'd be really out of left field, right? Because that's not how we do clothes here. We do clothes by going to the store. That's how we do clothes. We go and we go buy clothes. And so there's probably only a couple of people here that could actually even successfully do that. I'm not one of them, in case you were wondering. One of them maybe right here. Um, that could actually actually do that. I'm sure maybe a, maybe a couple others. But, I'm, I'm, but Or would be like, hey, if you don't change your own oil in your car, you're in sin. That's what you need to be doing. Change your own oil. Get your hands dirty. You need to be doing that. And again, there's probably only a few, few of us that know how to do that. I'm a lot better at that than the first, but we, we won't get into that. But So we can see Paul's heart here. He wants them to know nothing should be beneath them. Nothing should be beneath them. How often do you see that? Oh, no, I don't do that. Plumbing? Oh, I'm not going to do that. There's a sewer attached to that, and I'm not touching that because that's dirty. And that's, you know, that's, that's beneath me. But in our church, are we, are we willing to show up and say, okay, I'll help you unclog that? Hey, I'll help you do this. I'll, I'll help you get your hands dirty in this. Or making food like you all have for the church dinner. No, no, I don't, I don't cook. I don't do that. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. It's beneath me. Somebody else needs to cook for me. I don't do that. Is, that. is that our response? Well, Paul says, work with your hands. Get them dirty. Make sure you're, you're doing something. And I do praise God that we do live in a culture today that still has some Christian roots. It is definitely going far from that as we move forward. But it still does have some roots where we still do respect manual labor. We respect people working with their hands. We are at least different in the Roman culture than that. And Paul was in a great position of authority to give this command. And everybody, anybody remember, remember what Paul did as a side gig, his side hustle? He was a tent maker, right? That was a tough job. He wasn't just, you know, doing something easy. T- making tents was a, was a big job. It was a tough job. He had very calloused hands, I'm sure, from hard labor. So he was in a great place to tell them, work with your hands. And this final command, work with your hands, is the most practical way to prevent from breaking the first two. If you want to aspire to live a quiet life, uh, if, if you want to mind your own affairs, stay busy. Keep your hands moving. If you are working, it's really hard to be gossiping. If you are working, it's really hard to be a busybody. If you're, if you're working, it's hard to interfere with the affairs and the lives of others. Instead, you should be doing what God has diligently called you to do. We need to be a people who are focused on what God has given us to do as jobs. And sadly, those who are most critical about others and their lives are usually the people that have their houses and their jobs and everything, their finances, everything is in disarray. They're so focused on everybody else that they're not focused here. Let us be humble and let us be obedient to God. And I pray that each of us glorifies God, whether it's in the workplace, the home, or even if we're retired, we all have work to do for Christ. He has something for us to do. And I pray that we spend more time focusing on what God has called us to do and and seeking the Lord instead of interfering with others. And Paul says that as well here. And finally, in in our third point, as followers of Christ, we should seek to worship God through the witness of our work, through the witness of our work. Let me read verse 12 again. So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. 
That's a tough verse, isn't it? So I want to do a quick disclaimer before we kind of dig into the meat of this verse and some of the parallel verses that go along with it. I want us to know that the Bible does not shy away that the church should be serving one another. It's not just you do you, I do me, and this is how we do. You know, that's the way our family works. That's not how it works. We, we do life together. There are times when we need help. There's times when we need to be there for one another. There's no shame in asking for help at times. There's no shame in aging, getting to the point where there's certain things you can't do anymore. That's just part of life. These bodies, they're going to keep decaying until we get a new one. Praise the Lord, we're going to get a new one. Uh, but, but, you know, and so there's no shame in that. that. There's some things you were able to do 10 years ago that you can't do today. <clears throat> and that's normal. That's a normal part of life. There's no shame in having medical conditions that keep you from being able to provide the way that you would like to provide. There's no shame in asking for advice. There's no shame in occasionally even needing financial help during times of hardship. The Bible is full of grace and mercy to us. And so as we, as we get ready to go through this really difficult teaching regarding the witness of our work, I pray that you accept God's grace and mercy if you fall into one of those categories or even one like it. I pray that, that as we go through these tough teachings that, that you don't feel guilt and shame that is from the evil one, but, but that if you, if you truly are guilty of these things, that you experience conviction, that you repent and turn from that. Uh, we, we need to make sure that, 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 that we are true to the word that, and that we're also true to the word entirely and that we don't take things out of context. So I pray that, that if, if you are convicted by this, if this is something that hits you, I pray that you do repent, that you turn from your sin. But if you are someone who falls under those grace areas, I pray that you're able to, to, to amen the word of God, but realize that it applies to you differently in this way. Praise God for his grace and mercy, right, church? So what Paul is mentioning here is a problem had arisen in this church in Thessalonica. There were a few people in this church that just quit working altogether. Uh, there, there were a few people in this church that uh, that, that decided that they were going to not provide. And they, they'd gotten so focused on eternity, we, like most, most scholars think as we read through these, so focused on, on eternity that they just kind of gave up as far as living a life. And they became freeloaders, per se, or, idle, uh, or became idle. And we see this in Second Thessalonians 3.11. And frankly, if you don't read Second Thessalonians, you may miss what Paul's saying here. In First Thessalonians, you read this, and you may be like, well, where's he going with this idea? But let's see what he says here. Second Thessalonians 3.11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. If you're wondering why I got that term, idleness and busy bodies. It was from Paul. It was from the Word of God here. So these people were, were not working with their hands, as we saw Paul say in verse 11. They weren't working at all. Instead, they were likely meddling, and they were getting into other people's business, they were betting other people's affairs, and they were not living peacefully. And this idleness was bringing reproach to the Savior. And, and it, see, it wasn't that they were more holy than other people, thinking, oh, they're just thinking of, of heaven and that kind of thing. No, they, they pretty much were like, hey, if Jesus is coming back really soon, what's the point in investing for the future? What's the point in providing for my family? That's a waste. You know, why would I work for something when I know it's just going to not matter in a couple of days, right? Or a couple of months or even a couple of years. So they just kind of had this uh, eat, drink, live and be merry. For tomorrow we die. We're going home. And, and, and so they, they had had this very unholy way of looking at it. Why do I need to pay off my debt if it's going to be forgiven soon? <laughs> Sorry, I'll leave that there. Um, my, my, my friends, if, if unbelievers who are working to provide for their families see believers being idle and busybodies, how is this going to affect the spread of the gospel? 
So if unbelievers are, are busting their tails to provide for their family, working all these hours, and they see you as a believer, eh, I don't do anything. I just get, you know, I just kind of, you know, I'm just trying to mooch off of whoever I can mooch off. I'm not, our witness to outsiders is extremely important. And by that, you really kill your witness by having a weak work ethic. Those with strong work ethics and do their jobs well are beacons of light in a society that likes to cut corners wherever they can. And, I, you know, just think of Chick-fil-A today. Chick-fil-A is obviously, I feel like they've been pulling back a little bit from the, uh, their overt Christian standards, but, but they still are, are above reproach in most ways. And they've been one of those places that, that, that seeks to not cut corners in an industry that does seek to cut corners. And through their diligent effort and quality products, they, as of 2019, they actually, per store, made the most money of any fast food restaurant chain in the world. Now, their average store income was $4.1 million. McDonald's, being the largest fast food chain, brought in $2.7 million to kind of compare apples to apples there. But, you know, so, so, so we see that, and if you go to Chick-fil-A, the work ethic there is incredible. I mean, it's amazing how many people can get in and out of that place in a short period of time. It's a well-oiled machine. We should be known as believers as doing things excellently, doing it a lot better than the world, and sadly, that's not always the case. I pr- I, so I pray that, that, that we hear when we do things for the Lord, when we do things even for the world, uh, you know, you know, on behalf of the Lord, may we do it with quality. We do it with excellence. And, and sadly, I mean, there's all kinds of jokes about Christian music and how bad it is. And, and it's sad there are some really good quality Christian artists, but, but we have sadly as a as a church culture, when it comes to, to any of the arts, when it comes to, to even jobs, when it comes to presentations, when it comes, frankly, to preaching, even, I think it's just bad a lot of times. You listen to stuff, you're like, man, this is, they didn't spend any time studying the Word of God before they got up and spoke. Or they didn't spend any time tuning their guitar before they got up to play. Or the, you know, we don't have to be a performer in any of this stuff. When we go to do something, we're not trying to impress man. We're not trying to be better than somebody else. But we are to bring it, bring our best to God. And so because it, it brings him glory, he has made us to work. Then we get to verse 12 again, and, and he kind of talks about this. He says, he's told them to work with their hands, and now he gives a reason for that. And so we've talked about our witness to others, but he also wants that witness to others to show that you're dependent on no one. And again, I would, I would avoid the sin of pride here that doesn't take help when you need it, that doesn't ask for help when you need it, like we've already talked about. There is a heart that is bad in that way, but we are dependent on Christ for everything. He is our all-sufficient Savior. He helps us with our walk. But what Paul is warning against here, against here again is idleness. We're not to just be idle and just be dependent on everyone else to meet our needs. And if we go back one verse in 2 Thessalonians, we just read uh, chapter 3, verse 11 in 2 Thessalonians. Let's read verse 10 and see what he says there, which is a very difficult scripture as well. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Wow. Sadly, well, that's a tough verse, but sadly, you read that verse, and what's the first thing that comes to your mind? politics. And how sad is that? You know, like this has become a political issue. This is a biblical issue. Our job is to provide for our families. Our job is to provide for our families. We're not to be freeloaders and expect everyone else to do everything for us. We're to bring God glory by our work ethic. And and frankly, that freeloading idle attitude has even moved into a lot of our, our churches, which is sad. We should not be like that. 
Yes, there are those of us that need help, and we should be willing to ask for help, but there's some of us that need to get off of our backside and get to work and provide for others even more so. And we see this in, in 1 Timothy 5.8, another extremely tough, or tough uh, scripture. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially the member of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Some of the old translations, an infidel. He's worse than an infidel, which is a huge statement to somebody to say. So obviously this scripture is specifically targeted toward men uh, providing for their homes. Uh, But I think we can kind of broadly understand that we need to work to glorify God, men or women, whether it's in the home, uh, providing for your children, uh, whatever that is, we need to bring God glory by hard work, diligent work, not being idle, and always being willing to do it for him, for, for his glory. Some may hear a verse like this, though, and really kind of balk at what Paul is saying. Be like, that sounds like works righteousness, doesn't it? It sounds like you need to do this in order to be saved. And No, the, the real heart of this issue is what Paul has already talked about in our first two verses. And you're kind of wondering, well, why does Paul say what he says in 9 and 10 and then start talking about work? Like, wh- what does that really mean? So he's talking about brotherly love, you need to love one another as family, and then he starts talking about work. Well, how does that work? And I think the the great old pastor, uh, John Chrysostom, that was nicknamed Goldmouth, said this, For it is a mark of love to our neighbors, not to receive from them, but to impart to them. It It is a mark of love to our neighbors, not to receive from them, but to impart to them. So followers of Christ are marked by what? Love. So if you love Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be marked by love first for God and then for our neighbor. Those who do not love their neighbor show this by being idle and freeloading from them. 1 John 4.20 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. You cannot say, hey, I hate my brother. Hey, I hate my fellow church members. Hey, I hate my family. You may not say that. You may not think that's how you feel. But there is no love in slothfulness and laziness. If you are in a home and one of you is slothful, you're sinning. You're not loving your fellow siblings, your spouse, the rest of your family. In fact, Proverbs warns against the sluggard 14 times and slothfulness three times. And Scripture would provide plenty of exposition to do an entire sermon series on work and diligence. Hard work is a big deal to God. Church, may we be a people that exalts Christ through our witness by being diligent workers for His glory. May we fight against laziness and work through the power of the Holy Spirit. As we come to a close, I want us to understand how important work is to God. Work is not a curse. Work got harder because of the curse, if you read Genesis Three, But in Genesis 1 and 2, we see work was from the beginning. God is a God of work. He has given us dominion over the earth. But knowing this, you know, that God is a God of work. He created everything. He, he continues to work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and in our, in our lives. The Holy Spirit, He is a God of work. May we be following Him in that. And knowing that work is a gift and a responsibility, not a curse, in the beginning. May we worship God and glorify God through why we work, the way that we work, and the witness of our work. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And yes, it is difficult. 
Uh, it, it, it is sharp. It is, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates. It doesn't return void. And so, God, I pray that if there's anything in our own lives that we need to hear here, uh, that, that, that we are dropping the ball in a certain area of our life, that we're not working diligently for you and whatever you've called us to do, may, may you forgive us for that. Help us to repent, turn from that, turn to you. And, may, and if, we, if we don't know you, if we, if we realize, you know what, man, I, I'm really seeing that I don't feel conviction about this. I, I know that I am lazy. I, I at least have enough self-awareness to know that. But I realize that I don't feel bad at all. You know, that's a sign maybe you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, and that's a very difficult thing. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I would love to talk to you after church and, and let you know what it means to truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are a believer and you just, this is an area you're struggling with, it's just something you've always had a hard time with, you just need prayer, you need help, you need accountability, I'd love to talk to you as well. Uh, we, we don't come here just to hear the word, agree with it, and then walk away unchanged by it. I pray that each one of us, as we hear it, that it goes into our minds, goes into our hearts, and then comes out through our actions, that it is faith and deeds. We don't work for salvation, but we work because we are saved. We work from a place of salvation. As James said, faith without deeds is worthless because faith without deeds is dead. It is not real faith. And so, God, I just pray that you help us to have a true faith that each one of us here are born-again believers in you and that you continue to work in us through your Holy Spirit to glorify yourself. We love you, praise you, and thank you, and may all have a blessed week. Amen.